Now, here's the thing, though. This isn't all of it. This is a, uh, this is a, just a, was a, a tiny summary of the larger amount that she said. She, uh, she offered so much more. She talked about the, f- the precious family that invited uh, she and Raleigh to church. She, t- she talks more about prayer. She talks more about giving and, and about the way that, that God is working in her life. And so, if you will go today at noon, um, when, when you get home, when you get to the right place, uh, you can go and find the larger video. It's, uh, this was about four and a half minutes. There's, a, there's another three minutes or so um, that, uh, that has even more just really good stuff. And so uh, you can find it at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash bonairumc, and, uh, and, and, and we'll send out a note uh, about how to see it as well. But, um, but want you to, to be a part of that and, uh, and certainly invite you to be a part of, uh, of our prayer time uh, on Thursday evening. I invite you to turn in your scriptures to Isaiah chapter 10 as we continue this movement through this, this giant prophet of the Old Testament. Last week we were in Isaiah chapter 8. We find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 10. And uh, like every mother and father knows, sometimes you've got to repeat yourself for people to understand it. So here we go. This is Isaiah repeating himself in ways that sound very familiar. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a repeated word of woe and this prediction of how bad things will get. Isaiah 10, 32, 33, and 34. This very day, Isaiah says of God, he will stand at Nob and shake his fist. At daughter Zion's mountain, the hill of Jerusalem. Look, the Lord God of heavenly forces is chopping off the branches with terrible power. The loftiest ones are about to be cut down and the exalted laid low. He will strike down the forest thickets with an axe and mighty Lebanon will fall. Indeed, this is a preview of the exile that this southern kingdom of Judah would experience first at the hands of the Assyrians, and then later on, a hundred years later, at the hands of the Babylonians. This is a preview of how it will go. It's a, it's, it's a word about, about the chopping down and the scattering of God's people out into the far distances. And as, as, as I said, in fact, Tammy, you got this slide from last week. As I said last week, Isaiah shows the capacity to insist fully upon both judgment and hope without either silencing the other. This is that word. This is that word of judgment. This is that word saying, your disobedience, my beloved people, your disobedience is going to bring about this. Remember, last week it was, it was, it was, God is a stumbling block. I don't believe that is God reaching up and grabbing us. I do believe that we stumble over God because of our disobedience. And this is a nation that is hearing this terrible word. This is a nation being told judgment is just moments away. And yet, and yet there is this word of hope that will be offered. You know, um, 
geographic mobility is at an all-time high. We know this, right? I mean, if, if, you, if you think about history, if you think about the movement of people, we're, 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 talking about, we're, we're talking about tribes and villages and nations. If you talk, geographic mobility is on the rise. And I learned 25 years ago that my mother was against it. It was a September afternoon. We had done our shopping. We'd had a meal. We had unpacked. And when I turned around, Dad said, well, it's time for us to leave. And I thought, all right, this is it. But where's Mom? I told you this before. She was still in the car. She wouldn't get out. She wanted nothing to do with this geographic mobility that would allow her son to move from the good home in Statesboro that she had provided all the way to Atlanta, Georgia to go off to college. She wanted nothing to do with this geographic mobility that these youngsters were into. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, it's not right for a child to move away from his parents. You could, you could stay here and go to this fine institution. Yeah, you're right, you're right. She didn't give it to me that day, but she did with her, with her look. <laughs> it, it is true that people, this, that people in these days move around more than any other. I, be, I began to ask the question, well, if it's true of the whole world that people are moving and moving and moving, what about here at home? When people who live in Houston County, the Houstonians among us, move away, where do they go? Have you ever asked this question? Because if you ask it, guess what? You can find an answer. Tammy, you got that first slide for us? This is actual United States Department of the Census Bureau statistics for 2011 through 2015 of the first five counties of outbound migration from Houston County. This is where people move to. This isn't where they're coming from, right? This is where they go to. And the first, I know you're, I, I can see your faces. You're like, nobody from Houston County is moving to Bibb right now. <laughs> I, I, am I right? I mean, that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. But it's true. It's true. 1,046, the Census Bureau says, during these four years. Now, now we also need to put these numbers in perspective. How many, how many residents are there in Houston County? Someone, someone tossed out 160,000 in the last service. It's a big number. It's way over 100,000, and it's growing all the time. So, so let's say this. That's 1,000 people over the course of four years, and yet this is where they went. And then the next one, Peach County, they moved. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, go back. Um, they, they moved to Peach County because they need to build buses over there. They need to, they need to, get, they need to work at lanes. They, they, you know what I'm saying? They need to eat their peach ice cream, which is really good. <laughs> Fulton County, I have no idea why they would move there. Uh, maybe to go off to school or something. Lowndes County. Now, hold on. L- Lowndes County. Other than mediocre high school football, what's in Lowndes County? Hold on. Say it again. What is there? Carl, what's there? A little Air Force Base. What, what's in Okaloosa County, Florida? What is it? A little Air Force Base. Maybe two of them, actually. Yeah, yeah. Go to the next slide. 
Chatham County, there's only one thing there. There's shrimp, all right? And that's a good reason to move. It's a good reason to move. Cobb County, that, that's 157 people who moved up there to try to help the Braves' bo- uh, pitching rotation, okay? <clears throat> Sarasota County, Florida. Anybody know what's in Sarasota County, Florida? Is it called McDill? McDill Air Force Base. All right, now the, now the, the, next, one, the next one stumped me because I thought I had a pattern going. And I was like, look, there's a pattern. But Coriel County, I did, I, it was like, there's not an Air Force Base in, in Coriel County. There is a military institution, installation. It's really tiny and small. It's called uh, Fort Hood, which, by the way, is neither tiny nor small. <laughs> And then in El Paso County, Colorado, there is Fort Carson. And then at one of the services, people rattled off uh, an Air Force base that's out near there, too. Peterson. Peterson. So you have the top ten counties that are destinations for Houstonians to move to, and you see a theme. And in case, in case you're wondering if the theme holds up, uh, I don't have the statistic, but listen to this. I went and looked up my home county, Bullock County, Statesboro, where I grew up. And, I, and, I, and, and of course, it's a little smaller, but you can still look at, at the trends of the top 10 county counties, destinations, where people from Bullock County moved to in the same span of time. Nine of them were in the state of Georgia. And the 10th, the 10th, was just across the, the Savannah River in the low country of South Carolina. So it's, it's true. Houston County residents move further away, and economists tell us this needs to happen. Because it's important, they tell us, for the way that labor and, and production happens, for people who are trained in one place to be able to offer their services in another place. This makes sense. So if you learn a trade or a skill at a place like Warner Robins Air Force Base, whether you are a civilian airman or airwoman, or whether you are a military airman or airwoman, there is going to be a need for you to offer those services somewhere else. Geographic mobility is good. It's good. It allows the world to work. Unless, of course, you're the mother or father who watches your child move off. Or worse, I've seen this happen. You're a mother and father, and you let your children move off, and then they give you grandchildren, and they don't move home immediately. That's not okay. Or you're a mother... Or a father. And your children have been separated now, not by distance. But by that veil of death. Or you're a son or a daughter. And your parents aren't accessible by telephone. Because... They've now been separated by something far greater than geography. Isaiah offers judgment. 
the people will be scattered. But he follows it with hope. Let me ask this question before we move further in the scriptures. When you chop down a tree, what's left? A stump. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 says this. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. In one verse, God is chopping down trees. In the next verse, he says, but oh, you wait. A branch will sprout from his roots. We're going to read through all of Isaiah 11. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord. Jesse was the father of David. It was, it was, it was Jesse that represented this, this line, this legacy, this God-provided government and leadership that would lead the people. And the prophet says, it hasn't worked, and it's going to be taken down, but just you wait in its place. He will delight in fearing the Lord, this one to come. He won't judge by appearances nor decide by hearsay. Now listen, if you live in the time of Isaiah, a time in which people were judged by outward appearances, a time in which people could be, could be, could be found guilty for just what other people said about him, even lies that other people said about him. If you lived in Isaiah's time and you were being judged by your appearance or what other people said about you, then this promise of someone who would judge rightly, this is the best thing you've ever heard. Let me ask this. Do we still live in a time in which people are judged by their appearance and about the lies that we say about each other? He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together and a little child will will lead them the cow and the bear will graze their young will lie down together and a lion will eat straw like an ox a nursing child will play over the snake's hole toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den they won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain the earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the lord just as the water covers the sea on that day the root of jesse will stand as a signal to the temples the nations will seek him out and his dwelling will be glorious. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to reclaim the survivors of God's people who are left from Assyria and from Egypt, from Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. God will raise a signal for the nations. Now listen, listen, verse 10 and verse 12, these are some of the first instances in all of God's word that turned the trajectory of God's plan of salvation away from just the people, the Hebrews, the Jews, and now out into the world. This is the moment 
that God begins to unveil, I have a greater plan, a better plan, as Hebrews chapter 11 begins to refer to it later on. He will raise this signal for the nations and gather the outcast men of Israel. God will collect the dispersed women of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Ephraim, now this is, a, this is a name to signify the northern kingdom. Jealousy will cease. They were jealous because the southern kingdom, Judah, would harass them over the fact that they had Jerusalem and they had God's love. But that harassment will be eliminated. Ephraim won't be jealous of Judah, and Judah won't harass Ephraim. But they will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. Edom and Moab will be under their power, and the Amorites will be their subjects. The Lord will split the tongue of the Egyptian sea. God will wave a hand over the Euphrates with a powerful wind and break it into seven streams so that it can be crossed in sandals. Isaiah is predicting that even the geographic obstacles that would prevent the people of God from returning to God and being reconnected, that those are not strong enough to prevent the power of our God from bringing things back together. Seas and rivers are no match for this God whose agenda is restoration. Then there will be a highway from Assyria for the survivors of God's people who are left from Assyria, just as there was for Israel on the day they went up from the land of Egypt. This is the word of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. Indeed, this is the word of God's prediction and the promise that he will keep. The tall cedars that symbolized government and power have been chopped down and the only thing left is like death. A stump. It's, it's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. And yet from that, God, will make a way. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, see, the world looks at God's plans as foolishness because God's plan is salvation out of our weakness. Anyone in the room feeling weak right now? Welcome to the work of God. Welcome to the place of God. God takes the, the, the trees and chops them down and in its place says, this is, my, this is my method of operating. This is how it'll be. And the truth is, this is the gospel and a good word for all of us. Because despite what the numbers say, we who still are citizens of this place are exiles too. We don't, need, we don't need the Assyrian army to come and invade and take us away. You see, our exile, my exile, is self-inflicted. By my disobedience, by my, by my actions, 
by my words, even by my thoughts. I was having this conversation with myself the other day. Those, those are the worst kind because I really hate the guy that wins every time. I'm having this conversation with myself and I'm going back and forth on selfishness. Selfishness. And, and, and what I say is, what I say is, yeah, but, but, but it's not selfishness because there's all these good works, there's all these good deeds to other people. And you know what that other person's response was right up in here? Even good deeds, when done for the purpose of self, they are not the evidence of selflessness. And I think further into exile, I move myself. Further disconnected from each other, further disconnected from the God who loves me. We're all in exile. We've all been scattered by our own selves. We've been hurt by others. We have. We've been hurt by others, but, but the greatest suffering we've ever endured was self-inflicted. This is really the story of Isaiah. Through disobedience, the people have suffered, and the suffering is not over, but there is hope. For the God who takes things the world believes are dead brings them back to life. You don't believe me? Ask a couple Roman soldiers. On the third day, he rose from the dead. God has a consistent pattern of restoring. And he does it in the ways that we don't expect. It's not with the tall. It's not with the mighty. It's not even with the majestic. It's with the forgotten. It's with the cast aside. It's it's with the dead. We are the exiles. And the promise, the promise is that we would be returned. And there would be no obstacle that would keep us from returning. This is good news to mothers and fathers. This is good news to sons and daughters. This is good news to me. I believe it's good news for all of us. Let's pray. Gracious God, it is your desire that we would be restored. It is your desire that we would be reconnected. It is your desire that we would return to you. And it is your plan that it would happen. By your grace. But it requires our response in freedom, Lord. Give us the courage 
to turn back around. Give us the courage to choose you over selfishness. Give us the courage to choose life over death. Lord, this we pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.